Knoxville Game Design, June 2018, Unity UI Text for Built-in Options, with Dylan, Joe, Levi, and Zachary. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design for June 2018. We are game developers in the Knoxville and East Tennessee area. We get together once a month to talk about game projects and discuss topics in the games industry. Uh, this month we currently have three people online, including me. First of all, we have Dylan Wolf in Lenore City. Hello. Uh, Joe Miller in Morristown, Tennessee. Hello. And I'm Levi Smith in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Uh, so this month, Dylan is going to uh, discuss uh, Unity UI text and tell us a little bit about that. And hopefully we have a lot of discussion going on and sharing our thoughts on that. Uh, but first, I want to start off with a little bit of news, things that have been going on. <clears throat> Go ahead and share out. Share. So I know <clears throat> last month, both, uh, or was it this month, both Dylan and I were at Momocon. Uh, there were a lot of good gaming. There were a few gaming panels this year. I don't think there was as many as last year. Um, there was one panel called ID at Xbox given by Sarah Catherine Conde. I got to talk to her for a little bit. She explained what is going on with Xbox at ID. Um, I told her some of my concerns about Xbox at ID. Seems like it was really hard to get on the service when it started up. Um, but she said that it seems like they're um, becoming more accepting of other games and to talk with their people. Um, and she did mention the creator's program for anybody who wants to just put a game out there without going through the whole concept approval thing and stuff like that. Uh, I also met Michael Hicks on the convention floor. He was a developer. I'm not exactly sure where he's from, but he was involved with Xbox Live Indie Games in the past, and he was showing off one of his games at a booth down there that he'll be putting on Xbox ID. So I know he's involved with the Xbox community and things like that. Uh, Dylan, did you have any thoughts on Momocon this year? <laughs> Uh, not really much to add. I did one game development panel, which was just kind of like I, I walked through building a simple shoot 'em up, and um, it actually went pretty well. Like you had a there was a good crowd of people who were kind of at the the right level for an intro to game dev panel. Um, so we had a lot of good discussion. People who were just kind of getting started. Um, and I did play a bunch of the indie games. Um, I can't remember exactly which ones I played. I know I played Path of Modus that uh, you know, Michael Hicks were talking about. Um, there were a couple others. We did record a panel for AwesomeCast, oh, okay. uh, OSMCAST, where because one of the guys who, who does the podcast. Um, is on staff at Momocon and doesn't really like doing like a con wrap up. Um, so is awesome cast. Is that on iTunes and everywhere? 
Yes. I don't know when they're going to have it up, but we actually did record our thoughts on the indie games. Um, so that that's a better breakdown. Um, one thing I noticed they had, they had a bunch of board games, or not a bunch, they had like two or three uh, board games, card games, that sort of thing. Um, and they had, I felt like I saw a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people designing specific demo experiences. So, um, you know, they don't just throw you headfirst into the game. They've actually got a demo of like, okay, now first we're going to kind of like ramp you up and then, then we're going to end in a nice clean place. So I thought that was a really good, uh, setup. Yeah, I think that would be great for somebody like me. I mean, I've, I've always thought board games were interesting, but it's like, oh, i got to find somebody to play with, and then you got to learn the rules. And But if they had something set up where it's like, oh, here's how you play the game, and here's here's a group and everything. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just that. Like, we actually, like, they actually had, like, these, these were, like, independent board game developers, which is not something you see a ton of. Um, like, I, I almost feel like, independent video game developers are a little more prevalent at these sorts of things. So it's, it's just kind of an interesting development. Yeah. I know we have a uh, Bezier games here in Knoxville and they've released yeah. a few games. I've seen some of their stuff. I know they were at token game tavern a few weeks ago, demoing some of their stuff. And I know I actually saw last time I was in there, they had some of their games that you could pull out and play. So it looks yeah. like it looked like it's professional quality stuff they were doing. Oh yeah, I think they're they're a bigger company. I don't know that I would. I don't know that they would be what you'd think of when you think of like these the independent developers that they had at MomoCon who are just like, this is the first time we've made a game. Um, but yeah, I, I do remember John Sensei. I think he's usually seems like they had a lot of repeat booths from previous years. Yeah, uh, I remember John Sensei. I don't know what his real name is, but he had his. Uh, mobile app to help learn kanji and things like that yeah i remember there was mutant veggie arena which i played on kickstarter or got wait do you mean or not mutant veggie uh, okay not my game (laughs) uh mutant arena football is that what it is there we go it's a mutant football game (laughs) yeah i i i'd heard of it it looked really polished i didn't play it because it didn't really seem like my thing um but yeah, John Sensei has done a bunch of game development panels at different cons. Um, you know, so he, he seems like he's always at these sorts of events, um, like in the Southeast con community. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of any other. I was actually uh, participated in the Tekken 7 tournament, and I won a few rounds, so I was happy. There's video online of that. <laughs> uh, but MomoCon just seems to keep growing and growing, and uh, I don't know if they'll... Yeah. I think there's like 30,000, 40,000 people there. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy, and there's like huge line to get down to the convention floor and everything. Yeah, I, I don't know what the deal was with that. I on Saturday, I think maybe that was a case of something being scheduled down there or something like that. Yeah. Because I think the panels start earlier than the convention floor opened. So like right yes. at 10 o'clock when the convention floor opens, like everybody's going to go down those little escalators. And they also have their main events down there. Like, um, cause I know when I went to an overwatch voice actor panel, I think last year, that was where they had it. And, 
you know, they kind of had to send everyone down yeah, on the I, stairs. I went to the open world uh, game concert. It was okay. It was actually smaller than the Zelda convention or the Zelda concert that I went to in Knoxville, but it was still yeah. Cool. Oh, it looks like we have uh, Zachary who's joined us. So welcome, Zachary. Um, okay, let's see here. Um, share this back out. Share. Share. Um, yeah, so I got an email from the Knoxville Gaming Convention. I think this is a new convention they're trying to start up here in Knoxville. Um, yeah, so I think I'm definitely interested in attending this. It will be in late August. It sounds like they're kind of piggybacking off this other convention, Halloween convention called CreepyCon. I'm not exactly sure if you buy a ticket to CreepyCon, if that gets you into both conventions. But I, I think that was the impression I got from it. And I got the, the sense that this was, um, yeah, like they're trying to branch out and, you know, these, I, like they're kind of testing the waters. Um, it's like, well, we yeah. want to do convention in Knoxville, but we don't want to like go full blast on the first one. And we'll kind of, and that's how I was thinking about it. Is like that's kind of like how E three started out. They're part of Comdex or whatever, and they're just like a small portion of it, and they kind of branched out and did their own thing. So, I think it's a good approach yeah. to take. So yeah. Um, you know, I actually uh, filled out the paperwork to go ahead and do a small booth at the okay. Noxie. Uh, went ahead and submitted that. Now, we aren't committed to doing it yet, but it's like, oh, we've shown interest and this is what we'll need and things like that. Um, I think it's two days, so uh, whoever can stop by. Dylan, If uh, whenever you can stop by. Um, I know you said you might be busy that weekend. Yeah, but it's, it's like definitely... A, it's a Friday, Saturday... Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, and Joe, if you're welcome to, uh, just let us know what you need and everything. Uh, and I'm thinking this will kind of be like our setup for uh, the World's Fair event. And But I'll definitely have more stuff specifically for Knoxville game design. Uh, we can show off our game, too. Um, I was thinking, it was like, well, I have my Monster Hotel game. It's like, this would be perfect for the Evil Quest guys and Chaos Soft with their... Yeah, that's a good point. So I might mention it to them just to see if they're... In, I haven't heard anything from them in ages, so I'm not sure if they're even still doing game development. I know they were working on Evil Quest 2, but uh, I'm not sure where that's at. Okay. Well, they have a website up, but there's not a lot on there. Yeah, the Knoxville Game Convention. Yeah, it sounds like they're just trying to get it off the ground. I was kind of hoping that I'd see like a list of dealers or something. But if you go to CreepyCon, you can see vendor, yeah, the exhibitors for CreepyCon. And they actually have like real sponsors, like local radio yeah. stations. And, uh, but. Yeah, they got like the Hard Knocks Roller Girl, Roller Derby team. A lot of like tattoo artists. Looks like there's comic book stuff and collectibles. People with collectibles and things like that. Um, and this seems really well established. Just kind of outside the type of stuff that uh, I usually do. Oh, wow, level of games. That's yep. a uh, board gaming place in uh, I guess West Knoxville. 
Yeah, I thought they were on um, the Strip on Cumberland Avenue, and I thought they went out of business, but maybe they just moved. No, I think they're down there by Token Game Tavern now. Oh. Um, they actually, because I think when I, I went to the tabletop day that uh, Token had, I guess, last month, mm-hmm. and I think they were, if they were not there, they definitely had some, some like promotional stuff. They were kind of sharing the same Twitch stream for the event. Yeah, now I know where they're, they aren't in that shopping center, but like the next one over... I think there's like a comic book shop. It's where CompUSA used to be. Okay. Because I, 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 I think I went in there and they had like some NES games and stuff like that. I could be wrong. They might. Yeah, I can't. I, I'm I'm thinking of like all the the board gaming and tabletop gaming and CCG stuff they do. But yeah, now that you mention I think they do have like retro games and yeah. stuff as well. There's some game shop over there. Okay, so yeah, so keep an eye out for that coming up in August 2018, a couple of months away. Um, I'm not going to get into this, but I just the, it's been some, a big topic lately. It's like there's a holy war going on between Valve and Itchio, and I'm, uh, this is a <laughs> politics-free show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, seems like there's some bad blood going on between the creator of Itch about the openness of what games that Steam accepts and and Itch's policies and things like that. Um, and also, big news this week: Microsoft has purchased GitHub. Um, not exactly sure what that's going to mean for us game developers. Um, I do have a few projects out on GitHub, uh, just free uh, code that I want to be available to everyone. I don't think Microsoft will take it and change it dramatically, but uh, I know Microsoft purchased LinkedIn, and it's pretty much the same. So, Yeah, it seems like there's been a bunch of kind of heartburn on Twitter and stuff about this because... You know, people are looking at it like the old Microsoft would have, you know, what what they would have done versus like the newer Microsoft that's friendlier to open source and things like that. I honestly, like I use Bitbucket for most of my online like public repositories. So I, I you know, I don't really have an opinion. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I use Bitbucket for my closed repositories, stuff I want to keep private, and GitHub for the open stuff. So, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I uh, also wanted to mention this. Wally McClure, he's a local developer here in Knoxville. I know him pretty well. He has a golf app. It's game-related, I suppose. <laughs> he wanted me to plug it. Uh, they've been using they got some major sponsors. Um supporting this but it's a way to track your golf game so i was like well golf is a game and this is an app to manage it so if anybody out there plays golf and is looking for an online web application to manage this manage that uh, definitely hit up wally mcclure and all as always we have Liedem dari coming up in august i think this one will be three hours earlier so we'll probably actually end three hours earlier as well uh, we just realized this will be on the same uh, day as the August show, Knoxville Game Design Meeting. So we may either skip that meeting or uh, make other plans. We're not sure. So stay tuned for that. 
Um, I'll go around real quick. Uh, hey, Joe, is anything new going on with Double Square Games? Uh, not really. I I did add in my sale stuff for Kufus for the Steam Summer Sale, but I I didn't uh, really do anything else to it. I was going to try to have an update ready by then, but I haven't finished it. So uh, I don't know if doing a sale is going to make a big difference or not in the sales levels for it on Steam, but it's it's done okay. Oh, okay. I got my 100 bucks back from Greenlight. Yeah, I know. Oh, if you like reached a certain level, weren't you supposed to get refunded your hundred dollars? Maybe that was after they switched the plans. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. I just that was just my regular cash out. It took it a month or two months, I guess, to get to the uh, hundred dollar mark. Yeah, that's to be awesome. able to cash out. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so everybody out there, check out Kufu's delivery service. It, it's kind of like a a uh, Tetramino style game. There's a few different. I'll see if I can bring it up here. Uh, Steam. You have <clears throat> different uh, Tetra style blocks to come down on the conveyor belt and Kufu's delivery. And you basically take those blocks and you put them into like these little goal areas and you score points by the number of blocks that you have in these little areas and i know that you have a few different modes so you don't have you can do like a uh, tangram style game or play the game where the blocks are coming down on the conveyor belt yeah so yeah dollar 99 on steam but is it still on sale or it won't be on sale with the summer sale when that starts oh okay which i don't i guess it hasn't been announced yet but Okay. I won't say the date here because they say not to, but. Oh, one of those NBA <laughs> things. <laughs> when, when the summer sale begins, it will be on sale. Okay. Well, definitely everybody <laughs> out there, be sure to pick up Kufi's delivery service. Uh, if you don't have it already, pick it up during the Steam uh, summer sale. Um, and then uh, I've still been working on uh, the City Builder game, kind of, that, that I've been spending a lot of time on, which I don't really have anything um to show off but I was, it's it's coming along on the back end there's a lot of boring stuff i've been setting up my data systems and making sure they can talk to each other and i've been kind of writing some scripts that will help me out in the long run for how to pass the data in my objects back and forth yeah but it's it's uh it's like a city builder slash jrpg town manager kind of thing where you got heroes and NPCs and you choose which buildings you're building in the spots, like predetermined spots, like a, like a tower defense game more than like a SimCity game. Like there's only, like in the first town, there's only uh, five empty building spots and then there's eight possible buildings. Like you can do like a fighter guild hall or a, an armor shop or an item shop or a woodworker or a weaponsmith or whatever and you, you pick the buildings and they provide bonuses to the heroes and like it's all simulated though so the heroes will form parties and they go out and adventure and bring back loot and money and you stock the item shops and upgrade stuff they spend the money and like you the player get the money that they spend in the shops to buy more things and hire more people and then you just keep going and i'm trying to do it like a incremental 
game like um, Tap Titans, or I've, I've actually played a few of them lately just to see how they do it, where they have a prestige system where mm-hmm. you can like start the game over, but some statistic about it carries over to the new game, mm-hmm. like and it'll boost what you're getting in the new game by a certain percent. And I like plan around that a certain amount of time into the first playthrough, it's going to start getting too difficult or too slow that you would start over and then you'd be going like 50% faster the second time. You'd hit where you got in the first time and like be able to blow right past it, but eventually you'll slow down again and you start over again. Sounds very cool. Like you've been doing a lot of work because I remember you showed it a few months ago on the podcast. And at that time, it was just kind of like you had the different units and they would do the pathfinding to find like a path around the different buildings and everything. But it sounds like you've added a lot to it. Yeah, it's just uh, it's still that's about what it looks like. I haven't done anything else with the art, um, but there's a whole lot more going on in the back side. And that's like. Uh, it's just not very pretty right now. It's all still like text debugging windows, and I'm just trying to make sure that the the data structures are functioning and my scripts are working uh, for like when stuff gets created and how they interact with each other. Yeah, which are, that's a little bit more complicated programming than I've really done with most of my other games. A little simple mini games, and that's all in Game Maker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very impressive. Uh, do you know when the next GM48 is coming up? Uh, I think it's in July. Got to be coming up pretty soon. Yeah, I'll probably participate in that one because I don't think I've done a GM48 uh, in a few months. So I'll probably hop in on that one. July 21st. July 21st. Yeah, sounds very cool. Which I'll probably do as well yeah. i like that one yeah i know you've done a lot more gm48s than i have yeah i feel like i get more um i don't know like f- developed feedback i don't know what to call that more like valuable feedback or something yeah it's like from it's from the other game developers in the gm48 and it just seems like that's the people that are giving feedback back and forth are putting a little bit more thought into it and the, from the game design point of view than a lot of the Ludum Dare comments, people just say, you know, nice game or whatever. Yeah. It's I know not- with Ludum Dare, a lot of people are just trying to get up to their 20 ratings. So they'll just, yeah. just not put very much uh, thought into their comments there. Um, yeah. So very cool. Uh, looks like we have Zachary online. Zachary, can you hear me? Yeah, he may just be listening along with this this month. <laughs> yeah, I think it shows he's muted. I don't know if I don't know if he wants to jump in or if he's having problems or what. Oh, okay. Well, we appreciate Zachary joining us. Um, I'm going to show off a couple, just really quickly, some of the things I've been working on. Then I'll. <laughs> I'll toss it over to you, Dylan, and you can do show off and your 
top the topic this month but uh, I, I don't actually have anything to show off so oh, okay <laughs> uh so yeah I, I was just gonna say i've been i wrote an article last night i've been working on seo trying to get my when somebody goes and searches for one of my games online sometimes a lot of times it won't be my site it will be like itch.io that comes up or nddb so i've been trying to raise my site's domain authority so i, I, I just kind of did a brain dump of everything that i've been working on and uh, working on backlinks to my site, trying to reduce duplicate content. Like, I just now found out if I write a post-mortem article, it really is the smartest thing to post that article on other sites, even if you link back to your own site, because search engines will see that as duplicate content and uh, rank your site down, my site down. And I just provided a bunch of different sites that you can go to to promote your games, like NDDB and Unity Connect and another one called Cartridge and places that you can post links back to your profiles and things like that. So, yeah, anyone else interested in that? I also did a uh, <coughs> thoughts on Momocon 2018. So if anybody's interested in what I did at Momocon... Uh, including videos of my <laughs> Tekken 7 matches. Uh, check that out. Um, I've also been working on my games page. I'm kind of like doing my own little online gaming platform where you can see all my games. Been doing a lot of CSS and also got like this popularity ranking working, which uses pulls from the Jetpack statistics. So I can actually see which games people have been looking at on my site. And also been working on like a web games page. So I'm since WebGL now seems to be really good and at least better than it has been in Unity. I've been starting to put a lot more of my games uh, on my website as WebGL builds. So definitely check those out. They're now embedded right here on the games page. Uh, updated this Ninja Squad Commander game a little bit. My Ninja RTS game. Um, rewrote that using the new Unity UI components. So that's pretty much what I've been working on. So I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to Dylan, who's going to tell us a little bit about text in Unity. All right. Um... Well, like I don't really have anything to show off, so I'm just going to do the presentation. Um, let me share my screen. Um, so basically, we're just going to be talking about some uh, different ways to handle text in Unity. And this was something that um, I was trying to rewrite a um, an old uh, 2D toolkit game in like just new plain, uh, plain vanilla Unity. Uh, and I was using some sprite fonts. And so I got, um, I won't say I got really deep into this. It was just one of those things that it seemed like it made sense to go through and kind of catalog what my options are. Um, so what we're going to be talking about is um, both the built-in Unity uh, text components uh, for UI, as well as Text Mesh Pro, which was bought by Unity in early 2017. It's now free on the Asset Store, and it's also included in the new Unity Package Manager. 
and what we'll be talking about is just standard font assets, which is probably what you've used if uh, you've used fonts, if you've used text in Unity. Uh, we'll be talking about custom font assets, which is a way of creating uh, fonts out of a sprite sheet uh, that comes with some limitations. And then we'll talk about TextMesh Pro font assets and sprite assets, which allow you to build text out of uh, sprite sheets, as well as add some icons to your text. So again, you know, why would you need anything other than the standard Unity font? Uh, well, there are, really, there are really two reasons. One is if you want to use sprite fonts. Um, so for example, uh, the game I was rewriting, I'd used uh, the 2D Toolkit's uh, sprite font feature, and I liked having that sort of look to my game because it all kind of has like the little hand-drawn look anyway. I wanted to keep that. Um, you might also want to consider TextMesh Pro if you want to add icons in, like you, if you want to mix and match icons with your text. So for example, if you think about how like old school Final Fantasy games would always have the, um, like an icon for certain types of weapons and armor right next to the name, um, that's something you could do with sprite assets. So we'll start with the standard font asset. And this, you know, if you've used text in, in Unity, this is probably what you've used. You drag in um, a standard font, um, Unity parses it into, you know, an asset that you can use. Um, and then you can drag that into, for example, UI text components. Um, it does, you know, pretty much everything you'd want to do, but you are limited to using um, just like standard Windows fonts. Uh, so for example, if you, if you did want to do a Sprite font, there's really no way to do it. Yeah, I think I've used, uh, yeah, typically I use the standard fonts to just drag them and drop them. Then you can like go into whatever text UI text component you can select the asset right there. I think the problem with the sprite fonts, and you may get into this a little bit later, is like when you scale those up, they can start to get blurry and pixelated. Yes. Whereas if you're using a TTF file, I believe TTFs are all like graphics, or not graphics, but vector graphics uh, defined that way. So they scale, yes. they scale better. Yeah. There's some sort of, yeah, like it's, it's intended to scale. Um, I think Unity can possibly have some of those problems with standard font assets because I think what it may be doing, and I may be wrong about this, but depending on what what your options are, it may actually be creating a sprite sheet behind the scenes. Oh, um, okay. But you're right, like it's it's uh it handles that a bit better. Yeah, I know a lot of game engines I think do that. They just basically take the the text file or the font file then just like lay out a sprite sheet with all the different fonts and then use that instead of reading directly from the font as it's processing the game yeah. if you if you posted text in like xna that's what it was doing like it would it would the processor would um essentially just convert a font file into a sprite sheet 
So, yeah. okay, so if, if you want to use a, actually, let me, let me jump into Unity. So, yeah, like your standard font asset is just, you know, like you said, you, you drop it in, it handles pretty much everything. And, you know, you can drop it into a UI component and it just works. Um, so, for example, I can change that to the font I imported and, you know, scale it up, scale it down. And that's like the standard options for fonts, like the size, and if you have multiple lines, <clears throat> how much space is between the lines, and like whether it's centered. And, and the, the ones that get me are the overflow. I always just set overflow to like non wrap. I forget what the word is, but uh, otherwise it will just like not display, display the, your text at all. If you go outside the bounds of your box. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's kind of what, like, if you do CSS, that's what, you know, browsers will do. Because there are some cases where, you know, if, if the user can input a block of text, you don't necessarily want that expanding out, you know, vertically to cover your entire screen. You may want to kind of keep it contained. Yeah. It would be nice if it just clipped around that box so if it did spill outside the box you would just see the part inside but it just won't display it at all <laughs> from what i've experienced so uh, yeah um and then you got like the standard asset or the standard options like scaling and and rotating your text and that's a part of the rect transform so it's always it confuses me trying to keep the rect transform part of it and then the font size part of it uh, happy with each other. <laughs> yeah, typically the way I do it is I try to make sure that the rec transform um, lines up. So for example, you can see these different font assets. Um, I think pretty much all of them begin and end. You know, like one ends where the other begins. Mm -hmm. um, and I like doing that because that that way you can kind of segment off you know, um, different pieces of your, uh, your UI. So you can basically say, I want a text block here and I want it to fit these boundaries. And, you know, the, it's especially important if you've got UI elements inside of UI elements and that sort of thing. Yeah, the anchors always confused the heck out of me in the new Unity UI system. I still don't fully understand <laughs> how to use those correctly. Yeah, I basically I think what it lets you do is there are two different like if I set all my anchors to the same point like so for example if I go up to the standard font and I realize we're kind of I'm kind of getting off topic here I guess <laughs> I think I derailed it <laughs> that's fine so if I set my font um if I set them to the same point then I can define either the width or the height. Okay. And that, that keeps it like a fixed size at a particular point on the window. Um, but if I set it to um, two different points, then it expands to fill fill that 
you know, taking into account whatever margin. So it really depends on whether you want to, you want like, okay, this element is going to be, is always going to be this size. Or if you want to say this element expands to fill available space. Uh, yeah, that um, makes sense. I know you can like click on that stretch and custom and like get it to pop up at different places wherever you want. If you want yeah. aligned in the bottom right hand corner or the upper left hand, which is, pretty helpful i mean if you're trying to like do things by uh not screen size but by relative size yeah i i actually don't use that box um i i'm I'm almost afraid of changing stuff here because the rec transform in in most cases it's usually pretty intelligent about how it does it Mm -hmm. but one change a change in one place will replicate changes, like will, will force other things to change. Yeah. Um, and I've tried to programmatically change those values too. <laughs> and it gets yeah. to be kind of messy when you do that. But yeah, I was just going to just say that the good thing about setting up your UI components by like relative size instead of screen size is that not all especially these days when you got tablets and phones of different resolutions like they're all if you put something at like 800 pixels on from the left margin that may be off the screen on one device but yeah like in general i would recommend sticking to these percentage anchors wherever possible because that way um that way you can kind of be sure it'll keep its its shape if the screen size changes or if the aspect ratio changes. Mm-hmm. All right. That, that actually is going to set us up for something when I talk about um, uh, custom fonts. Um, so a custom font is basically, like I was saying before, what you would use to create a sprite font. You import a texture, you create a material out of it, um, and then you go through and map um, map that font or map positions in that font to letters. So for example, here uh, in this screenshot, I've got like the character index at 67, which would be C. Uh, I've given it some vertex coordinates and some UV coordinates, which... Um, I'll be honest, I don't really understand because I don't do a lot of 3D. Um, and actually, yeah, here's a, here's a slide on that. Um, if you do a lot of 3D modeling work, this will probably make more sense to you. Um, because like the UV is a, a, a percentage of, of the, the texture size and then the, the vertis, vertical or the vert is like pixel coordinates and i think is used for spacing yeah it almost sounds like they're taking the image of all of the letters and putting that on a plane then doing like a uv map of that plane to get the individual letters I'm not yeah sure if that's what they're doing or not but this is very similar to how the nes does it <laughs> actually they you just have like your video uh ram and then it actually indexes by the coordinates the in in the sprite 
<laughs> the main sprite sheet there. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what's what's happening. Um, one good thing about this, uh, again, it's native Unity support, but as I'm going to show you in a second, there are some problems with scaling, and there's not really a way built into Unity to change these mappings. So for example, I've got this, um, this sprite font image that I, I showed earlier. Um, I've created a material out of that. Um, just like I set shader to standard, I set the albedo to, to the texture. And then I just created a custom font. I came in to create um, and now I can't find it. Oh, down here, create custom font. Um, I dragged the material in, I set up some information about line spacing, uh, and then I created my mappings. Uh, we're gonna see in a little while, you can actually, you know, download some assets or write some code that will help you with this. Um, but for the most part, you kind of have to do this manually. So you'll see here, I've I've taken that cu custom font asset, I've dropped it into a text UI component, just like I would a standard font. Um, and you know, I can edit it pretty easily. Now, like I said, the big downside is, if I change the font size, nothing happens. Locked into whatever um, the size of that, that font actually was. Oh, okay. So that's only with the custom font that you can't change the font size. Yes, or at least I haven't found a way to do it. So, you know, it may be one of those your mileage may vary things. I don't know enough about um, how materials work. <laughs> you can scale it with the rec transform up there. Yes. It... Oh, okay. Yes, you can. But you'll notice that in doing so, um, you kind of have to build that into um, how you're assembling your rec transforms. So, you know, if I decided that I wanted this this text twice the size that it normally was, um, I've just blown any shot I have at like lining it up with my other UI elements. It's, you know, it's it's not not something that I can kind of base it on because that's that's doubled everything. That's doubled the anchors and, and all that. Yeah, I try to generally stay away from changing scale. Like when I first started doing Unity, it's like, oh, I need this thing to be twice as big, so I'll just do the scale. But that throws off a lot of calculations. So now it's like if I have a model and I need it to be twice as big, I'll just go into Blender and make it twice as big. That way I don't have to touch scale in Unity. Yeah, I don't typically have problems with it with sprites. Um, cause it scales everything up, but yeah, definitely like when you're talking about UI elements, you're talking about things that are really, really, you know, it's going to be really, really picky about, um, positioning, especially if you're building really complicated UIs. So that was kind of where I was once I decided to, you know, use this custom font asset. I was like, well, there has to be a better way. You know, there has to be some way to scale up and down and, and do all that stuff. So I eventually came to TextMesh. Like I said, TextMesh is free. 
Um, and you can also add it uh, as part of Unity's new package manager because Unity now owns um, owns the company that they created TechSmash. Oh, I didn't know know about the new Unity package manager. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how it differs from like the asset store yeah. tools. Um, this is all like Unity blessed packages. Whereas I guess oh. asset stores like oh anybody can put stuff up there. That's the impression I get. Um, but it definitely it definitely seems like it acts more like NuGet or something like that. Where you know I've got this copy of this package, I want to install it into this project, and then later I can come through and update it. Um, so TextMesh Pro. Um, basically does the same thing that custom fonts do. Uh, its font assets are just like Unity's built-in uh, custom fonts. Uh, they take a, a texture 2D, you create a material out of it, um, and then you map that material. Um, actually, I'll show it later. I don't have it in the screenshot. You'll map that, that image into a bunch of different characters. Um, again, there's not really a good tool for generating these mappings out of sprite sheets, um, but we'll kind of talk about some options for that here in a second. So you'll see with the uh, TextMesh Pro font asset, um, I actually have to use a different component for this. I can't use my normal Unity text component. Uh, TextMesh Pro comes with uh, something called, I think, I think it may actually just be, um, yeah, TextMesh Pro Text. The actual component name is this UGI. Actually, let me back up. I uh, I skipped over something here. So here's my image. Uh, here's my material. Uh, in this case, you can see that TextMesh Pro actually comes with its own sprite shader that's used for fonts. Um, and then I just drop a texture into that. And then when I create the, the font asset, um, you'll actually notice that a lot of these, these options look pretty similar to custom fonts. You know, I can set some information about the font itself. Uh, and then I come down to the glyph table and I can map characters um, to different locations. You will notice that these are done in terms of pixels rather than uh, the, the little more awkward UV mappings. So it's a little easier to get that level of precision uh, than, than it is with, with a custom font. Yeah, that looks very cool. I'm assuming it automatically sets up the default mappings for you then if you need to change anything like i want the dollar sign to be something different then i can map that character to a different position um it does if you're well because that would be very tedious if i had to say oh a is at location zero then b is at location 64 and c is at location 128 well okay so it it does if you're importing a font from, you know, just like a TTF or OTF font, 
like you would with a, a standard font asset. If you're creating a spot, a sprite font, it doesn't do any of that. Wow. You're just given like an empty table and you have to map it yourself. Yikes. Well, I guess it'd just be 26 characters if you're doing letters. But... Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to include everything. You can kind of pick and choose. But the advantage here is I can come in uh, to this um, text mesh pro component. Um, I can turn auto sizing on and off. You know, I can change the size of the font and it will, and like you said, Levi, you'll, you'll get some of the pixel, pixel, pixelization, but you can really do whatever you, you want to do with it. Yeah, that's very helpful for like if you if I just wanted to have some text like fly into the screen, just have like a uh, it just get big, or if I want the text to expand and contract, then people really aren't going to notice the pixelization uh, if you're just dynamically changing the size. I think it's just when you statically change the size once that's when people kind of start to notice it. Yeah, it's a case where you probably want to build your font asset. Like you'd probably start your sprite sheet with the assumption that, you know, you're going to have a certain maximum size that you want to support and, you know, and let that determine what size you're, you know, like what pixel resolution you're using. Now this may be derailing your topic and your talk again, but is there any option for doing outlines for text or do you have to have that already built in to your font? Um, they're actually, is somewhere and I cannot remember where it is. Well, I know with um, the default Unity UI, you can add a component to do outlines, but it isn't the greatest. Basically, it does your text and then it does like your text four more times using the offset. So it isn't like a true outline. I'm just wondering with this uh, text mess pro, if it would, if you would have to have that built in or if there's a way that it could automatically calculate that. Um, I added the outline component here. But I don't really see it changing, so I'm going to guess that that's not going to work. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, yeah, I see on the screen right there that outline script. So if you, like, really ramp up those values using, like, a default Unity text, if you, like, put it at 32 or whatever, you're going to see where it manually drawed it. 32 pixels up, 32 pixels to the left, 32 pixels to the right, and 32 pixels down. So it's better than nothing. And it works pretty good if you're using small values, like just a one pixel or two pixel offset. Yeah, like that, that's what it's going to look like. And like yeah. you said, if you if you expand it out, yeah, then... Yeah, exactly. Well, obviously, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's it's how you usually do it in Game Maker, too, or you just draw it one pixel to the left, one pixel to the right, one pixel above, and one pixel below. Yeah, I, I've, done, I've done the same thing in Unity. Like, I've actually written scripts for it. And like I said, for most things, that's good enough. Um, but yeah, I don't see... It doesn't look like that's working here. Yeah, I think probably trying to do a true outline by evaluating what's inside and i guess you'd have to select the color value then determine exactly what's inside and outside and that would just be too resource intensive yeah um although you can do that in gimp 
pretty easily than just doing expand and do it at a lower, go to a lower layer and just fill that. And that's usually what I do to get a, a true outline. Yeah. Now you can do a couple little things here, like change things to, you know, um, italics and it, it tries to do that. Um, but no, I don't think there's a way to, to outline from here. I would I would actually say that's something you probably want to build into your sprite font. If if you're if you're creating a sprite font, you have to the ability like like you can see here to kind of build that outline into it. Yeah, it sounds like that's the simplest solution. Just build it directly into your image file for your text. Yeah. Um, so Text Mesh Pro also allows you to create something called a sprite asset. Um, which is really like it's a different type of asset, but it really just works the same way as a as the uh, font asset we were talking about. Um, you start out with a sprite sheet, you create a material out of it, and then you um, you create a sprite asset, and then you map IDs to coordinates. Um, and some of these you can actually map to Unicode characters, it looks like. But um, really, like, the way we'll be specifying most of these is by ID. Um, so I didn't actually create one here. I'm just using the default um, Ah, here we go. The default sprite asset that they provide with TextMesh Pro, which is called Emoji One. And it's just you know, a set of little smiley face emojis that you can add into text. So what you do is uh, you can come in here to Extra Settings. Um, you can specify uh, what sprite asset you want to use. Um, and then all you have to do is you put this sprite tag in your text. So sprite index equals one will show whatever sprite asset is given number one. Sprite index two will show um, whatever is it index two. And so, you know, if you, if you have some sort of symbol like currency symbols or things like that, this is a way that you can add those in without having to like replace a character in your default font with it um that's that sounds very cool i'm kind of thinking like the old school final fantasy games where you'd have like a weapon like a sword then it would show like the little icon of the sword next to it yeah shield and it's like right in line with the text yeah so so that's a case where you know if you're deciding whether you want to use like default unity text or um text mesh pro if you think you're going to need anything like that, I would go with TextMesh Pro, and then you can, you know, just you can even start from just a default Windows font and add in your sprite assets as you need them, and you don't have to like. It's not really going to be awkward to mesh those two up. Begin. I think there's a little bit better tooling for creating sprite fonts. Like I said, I never went through it, but um, 
oh, maybe there is a, no, font asset creator uh, creates from a, um, a standard font. Like it doesn't really help you creating your own. A sprite importer allows you to create a sprite asset from an image. Um, so there's a little bit better tooling for sprite fonts, but not a ton. Or sorry, sprite assets. Um, probably one of the best ways to define uh, define a, a sprite font um, is the FNT file format. This is something that I used when I was making fonts for 2D Toolkit. Uh, yeah, I think you can see FNT was like the original, at least on Windows, that was the original font format. I guess it was a raster-based format. Then TTF came along through type fonts. Yeah, I think this is actually different. Um, oh, okay. I just like I, I use FN, FNT as the the extension, but it's actually a text file format. Okay, gotcha. All it really does is say, you know, given an image, given an image, how are you mapping each character within that image? So just just the same information we talked about. There are a couple of different tools that already use this format, so it's a little bit easier to work with. Um, I know Shoebox is one I looked at at one point um, that actually has kind of gives you the tools to build a font uh, to to take a sprite sheet and convert it into a bitmap font. Um, the thing is, if you don't have a, um, I don't think Unity imports these files natively. So you're going to have to do some work to change an FNT file to a uh, either a custom font or a text mesh pro font. Um, and the way I did it was using what's called an asset post processor. So when you create an asset post processor, um, Unity is going to run it whenever you uh, import a new object uh, or re, you know, force it to re-import. So in this case, it's going to run whenever uh, an asset gets added. It's going to run this on post process all assets method. And all I'm going to do is, is go through all the file names and say, if it ends in FNT, I want you to parse it like an FNT file. And then all I'm doing there is I'm going through the file. Um, I'm, I'm grabbing the uh, texture 2D that um, matches the file name. I'm creating a material out of that, that texture and I'm grabbing the default uh, text mesh pro shader. Um, so I'm creating those two assets and then I'm creating the uh, text mesh pro font and I'm adding in a character mapping for each character. Um, so, you know, I'm going through and saying, okay, take the ID, which is, you know, the ASCII character code or Unicode character code. I'm saying, you know, give it, 
XY coordinates, width height coordinates, and offset coordinates, and just create this object. Um, and I saw you had like a regular expression there. I'm assuming that's to verify that it is a valid character or number. Well, yeah, it's it's actually to it's not so much about validation because I'm using this myself, and so if I get an error, you know, that there's an exception, I don't really care. Or if, if I get a an unexpected response, um, what this is, what why I'm using regular expressions is because this is what the FNT file looks like. Oh, okay. You know, it gotcha. says you know common is is going to be information about the font, line height, baseline, uh, scaling, things like that. Page I, uh, page is going to be information about the the text or the texture. Sorry. And then character is uh, kind of defines that mapping between ID and um, like coordinates and the, the texture. So, so it's basically matching one of these lines in your font file. Yeah. File. And this sort of thing like works really well with um, regular expressions like okay instead of like splitting out the string and, and doing all this complicated stuff you know i'm just gonna plug in the standard string i use because you know this is this is my importer so it really only has to use has to support the features that i use um and i'll i'll make this uh project available so you guys can look at the sample code i didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't do a lot of, put a lot of effort into, um, like, making the code and examples look nice for this presentation. With common. I think you actually might already have it on Bitbucket, because I think I checked it out and looked at it one time, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably have added something it like. It might be an older version. All right, so that's a really, really just basic overview of the topic. Um yeah, I think that was really good. Um, yeah, it's something that's always, I don't know, <laughs> confused me and just knowing the best methods for adding text to games and, and things like that. And yeah, and I know Unity yeah. has come a long way. I mean, before they had the GUI text and the text UI component, which are now uh obsolete so I've, I've been going back through a lot of my old games and trying to convert those up but i'm definitely going to look at te text mesh pro now especially if i need to do some of those special cases where i do want to add like a icon or a emoji or something in my text yeah and that was the point of this like i said there's a lot of this stuff that i don't know and i'm just guessing at what it means but what i wanted this to be is like here's all your options and now you can think about like what what you actually want to use depending on what your needs are yeah i think we're all about awareness just to let people out there know what tools are available so they can dig a little bit further a little bit deeper if they want to learn more about it one thing i did before is uh i actually for my like high score entry thing where it's like the three letter initials I created one sprite that had 26 frames where each frame was one of the letters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just storing their initials like as the variable 3, 21, 12 or whatever. And then I'd just display the, the sub image of the sprite 
based on what their like what the initials were saved into the table as. Yeah. And that way I was using custom sprites for the letters. Like the but they were all little instead of having a giant uh I don't know, sprite sheet full of letters. It was just one like strip of the same size. Yeah. And I could change what individual letters looked like and keep it as an image file, but I don't use that method anymore. That was a uh, that's not great. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like a a homebrewed example of what TextMesh Pro and stuff like this is trying to do, so that you can go yeah, in. Yeah, those and... have a, a lot more options built in. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And, and they are they are kind of trial and error because I you know like I don't think any of us know enough about typography to. <laughs> To like, sure, that's what an ascender is. <laughs> yeah, I never. I know Game Maker will actually like you're saying. If you have a strip of text and all of the letters are evenly spaced, then I guess you could just say, "Oh, import that image into Game Maker." Then, like you said, do a sprite strip, an animation strip, and yeah, I never thought about doing it that way, but it definitely seems like that that would be a great way to solve that problem. It's it's a easy arcade type method. Very cool. Okay, uh, I guess I'll go around the group. Uh, I never did hear from Zachary, so we appreciate Zachary uh, joining he us. Put uh, a message in the chat. Oh, yeah, I said something earlier when we mentioned him about uh, his daughter woke up. So, oh, okay, yeah. guessing that's why he muted. Oh, okay. Well, we appreciate Zachary. Luckily, mine is sleeping through just fine. <laughs> she usually gets up around four. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. Right there. Oh. <laughs> hey, there, there's Zachary and his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> uh, Joe, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about this month? Uh, no, I guess uh, I had uh, missed that this weekend was a uh, Shenana Jam, which was Butterscotch Shenanigans. Oh, really? They're, they use Game Maker. They're one of the big, I guess they're like a triple I developer that actually still uses Game Maker. But I, I didn't had see it on Twitter until today that they were doing a jam this weekend. That's so many jams. Yeah, there, there's always a jam out there somewhere. I remember back when we were doing the the game review, or the, where we'd play an indie game every month and give our game design thoughts on it. Uh, uh, Butterscotch Shenanigans, that they were one of the first games that we did is Crashlands. I guess that's their big breakout hit. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't know they did game jams, but I know they're very active and they just theirs is an annual, but I hadn't paid attention to it this last year they had one and it got like 150 entries and it was it was pretty good and they like played all the games on twitch on stream the actual butterscotch guys so oh, the actual developers played everybody else's that's very cool yeah i don't know if they played all of them but they played a bunch of them at yeah least. 
that's what I was going to say about GM48 earlier. Sometimes it is the game jams with the smaller groups and the smaller communities are a lot better than like Ludum Dari was like, okay, I don't know anybody on here, but it's really great when you can kind of build that community with the other developers. Yeah, I still haven't. My, my very first GM48 jam game where I did a, I'd called it 21 Run, where it was a little blackjack runner game thing we got like 13th place in that one and i've never done as well on any jam yeah none <laughs> of mine ever do very well I, I just do it for the fun of doing it but yeah i remember 21 run that was like the 3d runner yeah. game that, that was very impressive to do that in in game maker that was all fake that was the it was just like setting the scale to its negative y or something like that so it would always look smaller the further up the screen it was. That's like how the old school NES games used to do. Well, I think they actually had different sprites. As, as That's what I was actually, I was going for, I was trying to do the 3D World Runner. That's what I had in my head. But I couldn't figure out how to do that arc and have it like come around on the fake sphere as well. Oh, so yeah. I just went with the straight line and, and had it diagonally come out of the center. I went back and played a little bit of F-Zero for Super <laughs> Nintendo. And it's pretty amazing i mean as you can tell like specifically when the sprite goes swaps out to a smaller sprite because it's going into the distance but it is pretty amazing that they actually did like a sprite for every single angle because like once you win the final race it actually shows all the way around the car so yeah that's uh, that whole the type 7 on snes is crazy hard to imagine like how to make a game using that. Yeah. These days you just make a model and then it handles <laughs> it for you. Yeah. Well, you just, they just had to like hope and like, I promise it'll look good <laughs> when we run it. I think maybe just make, I've, I've just done make some sure, math. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure the, uh, the Sprite of your car when you're directly behind it is good. And <laughs> the close ones, and you can kind of fuzzy up the other ones. Okay, uh, Dylan, did you have anything else? Nope. Okay, I, th I think it's a great talk. Um, yeah, definitely learned a lot. So next month, um, I'm going to be, unless anybody else wants to step up, <laughs> I'm always taking volunteers. Uh, nah, I'm, I'm pretty much out of topics for a while. <laughs> okay. I think. Um, that, that SEO thing you were talking about might make an interesting talk. Yeah, I know there's talks that I've done. Like, I was there at the first year of Def Space Conf. I did, like, an SEO or a, I think it's more of a social media talk. Um, I kind of want to keep a balance between technical talks and marketing, theoretical, like, HCI talks. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm up for suggestions. I really want to get back into Unreal Engine just just refresh myself on that so i could do unreal engine or pico 8 i think pico 8 is definitely popular right now um so that might be a good one to do but i know i did like a live stream on pico 8 but um i never did like a, a talk talk on that but yeah dylan dylan uh, there's been a lot of talks that we've done in the past even when we were meeting at the tech co-op 
uh, a lot of topics that we could revisit just to do it in the online podcast yeah. format, like Blender. That's one I did a long, long time ago. It seems like it was really popular. Um, so there, there's bunches of topics. So I'll plan on doing the next two. Like, like I said, if anybody else wants to step up, anybody out there, or we're taking suggestions too. So just let us know. So. Yeah, visit Dylan Wolf at dylanwolf.com. Uh, this was our first time we actually tried streaming this on Twitch, and it looks like we had a few people join us. Uh, we haven't gotten any comments that I've seen, but uh, we'll try to build up our Twitch uh, presence because I know that's kind of like the place to be these days. That's that's where all the kids these days are doing. Yeah, I feel like I'm old enough to really go stream some Fortnite. That's a... uh, um, so yeah, battle royale mode to all your games now. That's a... <laughs> are, we, are we doing a bet on how many battle royales get announced at E three this week? All of them, <laughs> like eleven, fifteen. It's just every game that's got a franchise will be that colon battle royale. Yeah, I haven't heard of any E3 news yet, but uh, I know that's this weekend, so I'll be checking that out. Uh, Dylan is actually DylanWolf underscore on uh, Twitch, but you can go, I believe you can go to DylanWolf.com and you can find links to all of his sites out there. Uh, Joe is Double Square LLC. You can find links to all of his sites, uh, all the social media and things like that. Links to I've been game. doing some experiments with Twitch on, uh, I've been trying to figure out how to stream Android or like my my mobile screen to Twitch. Oh, that's something so I was trying I'm to figure out how to do is to cast mobile my... Development. Yeah. There is software, I think it's called AirParrot, that I downloaded um, that will do... I was looking at a hardware solution first with a that had a like a HDMI out from my phone and capture it as a source on OBS. But uh, the other thing I was doing was just running uh, BlueStacks and running my own like build my APKs out from GameMaker and then I can run them in developer mode on BlueStacks and like kind of do it that way. But yeah, I, I haven't been streaming regularly, but I've I've been thinking about it or trying to figure out ways I could make it a little bit more interesting. Because when I was streaming the Sub Hunter mobile development, I mean, it's it's kind of boring without being able to see what I'm doing on the phone side, like to show off like the, how it's supposed to work with gestures and stuff without having to just simulate it with the mouse. It's easy enough to like run the build on my phone in my hand, and I can see it. <laughs> but yeah, to share it with the Twitch people, almost sounds like you need a webcam for that. Like if you not just want to get what's on the device, but what you're doing on the device. Yeah, I've seen some people do that with like the top down and have it in a fixed position. Yeah, I know. I've seen some posts on developer forums about how to gain followers from doing live streams. I mean, the thing that I've had success with is, 
Like if I do some programming, then do like a short developer commentary after like 10 minutes longer. So then do like a code review that way I feel fresh and energetic and everything. I know if I do like these sit long six hour marathon programming, <laughs> like at the end of fifth hour, I'm just like, Oh, half dead. And that's not yeah. very entertaining to watch. But yeah, let us know if you if you get that work. Now, Joe, I don't think I'm following you on Twitch. What's your Twitch handle? I want to say it's just Double Square. It's I haven't Double streamed Square? live in a while. Oh, okay. Well, I'll make make doubly sure that I'm following you on there. I'm still trying to learn how to Twitch. I'm not sure like what I can put on for music or not, or yeah. uh, just kind of how it all works in general, using like an overlay and getting used to OBS, but I haven't really been streaming. I know there's a lot of plugins and components that you can get that I haven't even dealt with yet, but I know it's like every time you get a new subscriber, you can have something pop up or somebody dancing or something, and then there's the whole subscribers and followers where people can give you money, and you can create your custom emojis and all that. Which... Yeah, I actually was talking to someone who's going to do some like streaming at a con uh, about doing some of that stuff with OBS. And I think there's a browser plugin that will let you load up just either a static HTML page or something like that. So I think that's a really easy way you could do some of those overlays where if you can get at some sort of API that, you know, like you can pull regularly, you just make a web page that spits that out um, you know, and then point the browser plug in at that web page. Right. Okay, I guess that's going to wrap it up for June 2018 for Knoxville Game Design. I also wanted to mention, uh, I appreciate Dylan uh, providing uh, pictures, nature pictures for the intros. <laughs> I've been using a lot of those. Uh, kind of pixelating them up and everything, but they, they look really good on the intro screen and everything. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be it. Make sure to uh, look us up on YouTube, Knoxville Game Design. Actually, the videos are hosted on my account, but you can type in Knoxville Game Design on YouTube, and that should take you to the Knoxville Game Design playlist, and you can go see all of our previous episodes. Uh, follow our Twitter account, Mox Game Design, for updates. Make sure to subscribe to the mailing list if you want to get the updates when we're meeting and our other events that we have. And uh, yeah, so that's basically it. And uh, yeah, make sure to follow us on. I knew there was a couple more. Make sure to follow us on uh, iTunes. You can always get the audio version of the podcast. We're also on other platforms such as Google Play or whatever Google's podcasting platform is and Stitcher. So anyway, thanks everyone for watching. Be back in a month.